0: Hi everyone, my name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Tarot Talk. Hi there, this is Tarot Talk. (laughs) My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Excellent. So on today's episode, which is a little bit before Valentine's Day, what we decided to do was tell creepy love stories. Do you like
1: Valentine's Day? Nah,
0: eh, take it or leave it, really. Yeah. I mean, it was fun when I was younger, I guess. Yeah. In school, you used to get those little wacky ass... Uh, valentine's cards that you could buy in oh like yeah and put them in everyone's little <laughs> yeah yeah those yeah. were cute and like your mom would help you fill them out and you'd get them i have some in a it was box so somewhere. exciting opening those yeah and there was always like my family was probably like a lot of families where you gave one to everyone like it was inclusive okay you had to give one to everyone or nobody at i all. always
1: got a card from my mom and my dad each Me like too. separately separately Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But the as far as it being like a romantic holiday, it's, it's you know, it, you, I mean, whatever. That's okay. fun.
0: I kind of like the uh, Valentine's Day, like meals that restaurants will do. Yeah. They're often yummy. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but when I was a server um, yeah. and a bartender, I hated Valentine's Day because everyone came in in twos. So you never had these really big tables and made a lot of money. You worked really hard for two tops. Yep. Sucked. So sorry. Yeah, that those days are over. But I empathize for people who work those nights. Yeah, I bet. Because these are not the professional diners.
0: No, 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 no. And a lot of times they have like price fix meals, you know, prefix meals. And where there's a lot of
1: pressure. People are really tense when they go out for Valentine's Day.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think last year on the show we did like an anti-Valentine's Day show
1: <laughs> where we told... Like, we yelled
0: about we, it for now? no. No, we talked about movies that were, you know... Anti love,
1: like my bloody Valentine,
0: yeah, stuff like that. Today on the show, what we're gonna do is in this first segment, we're gonna tell some creepy love stories, basically, and then on the second part, um, we're gonna continue to tell creepy love stories, but we're also going to weave in the dark side of romance and sort of the in, criminal and <laughs> <laughs> okay. criminal, primal instincts. Criminal is primal and criminal. Trying to figure out where together going I don't that. know new words criminal. I'm going to say that. <laughs> Criminals and primitive behavior. I don't know. I think it works. Primal instincts uh, and talking about all of that stuff. So let's start out with some creepy stories. Uh, I'll tell one first. Okay. And it, this isn't like telling a story. I'm just going to talk about the story. <laughs> so again, a, a, a lot like our what the hell segments, I did not... Treat this as a journalistic endeavor and, you know, uh, research this heavily. So I'm just gonna, they're just fun stories. So Mary Shelley, mm. uh, author of one of my top 10 favorite books, Frankenstein. Uh, Mary Shelley was the original goth girl. I'm reading this from the internet. So okay. uh, not only did she write one of the founding works of modern horror, agreed. But she also, and then in quotes it says probably, lost her virginity on her mother's grave. So there's that. Wow. It's not quite as weird as it sounds. Uh, Her mother's grave was a special place for her. Uh, Her mother was Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Wollstonecraft, an acclaimed Mm -hmm. writer and feminist, died only days after giving birth to her namesake. Yeah. So after a teenage Mary and one of her father's fans, Percy Shelley, started making eyes at each other, it was only natural for her to take him to her special place to hang out, which was her mother's grave. I don't know. It's a little creepy for a date. I mean, I've been to some graves in my family I and i
1: don't know if i'd want to out. i mean I, no but, but sex be, is a little yeah i mean cemeteries graves none of that I'm, my brother my oldest brother passed away when i was a kid and i i actually it's comforting to go visit his grave but so I maybe it was comforting for her i wouldn't be having sexy time on it well, yeah. yeah so
0: to anyone else it might have seemed a little creepy <laughs> Yeah. But Percy was a poet, so it was probably a turn on. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, that's what this article says. Uh, eventually, at one of these graveyard and chill meetups, one thing led to another. And well, it sure seems like that's where they had sex for the first time. Obviously, we, we're we not corroborating that. We just don't know. But we know for certain that they had sex around that time and that they declared their love for each other around that time uh, at the gravestone. That's That's the story anyway, uh, which sounds sort of, I don't know. That's super creepy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not the norm. Let's hope. I mean, it's clear from Mary Shelley's writing that the reanimation theme is kind of a thing for her because that's basically what Frankenstein is, um, And I'm going to talk about a movie on this week's String Chat that's a reanimation story, so this is in line with that. It's one of those horror tropes that happens where, you know, Frankenstein is obviously a reimagined human and is something different than when he started. And so maybe there was something in, you know, in that, an obsession with death and then the reanimation of her mom or something. I mean, I don't know. I'm making shit up. but Okay. That's not to story. sit on that one. Yeah, it's a good thing you know Freud wasn't born yet. <clears> okay, <throat> you want to tell your? I think you Freud would have
1: had Freud would have had a ball. I know. That. I know. I know. I'd love to see that and see that interpretation. Right. I have a. I have a story. Um, it's actually. It's not creepy. It's. It's sweeter. It's a ghost story. Okay. This woman wrote in, so I'm actually going to read the story. Um, she wrote in. It's. I think now. Her husband passed on May eighth, two thousand five. Okay. Um, oh no, excuse me. He passed before that. She said, "I'll start. This is a this is a an interaction she had with him after he had moved on, passed on. So on Sunday, May 28th, May eighth, two thousand five, my reality changed. That's when I discovered a handprint on the bathroom mirror in my home." that's the story just kidding uh the day it appeared Moving on no. the day that it the, the day it appeared was the first anniversary of the death of my husband max piesler we had been married for four years when he was found at the age of 56 to have esophageal cancer esophageal mm-hmm. cancer yep uh six months later he was gone devastating me and my 14 year old son tanner In his final two months, Max spent a lot of time during the day with our friend and housekeeper, Helen. He insisted that I continue working. I was the publisher of the Sacramento Bee. So I went to the office and drove home uh, for lunch visits, at lunch for visits. Uh, One day, Helen and Max were in the kitchen. The sun was shining outside until it suddenly poured. We both just stopped and looked. Helen recalled, I told him, I know you don't believe in God, but this is something God created for us today. And after you're gone, if you can find a way, let us know that there's something out there that it just doesn't end max agreed but it will be up to you two to see it he said mm. after uh, a year after max's death tanner and i were still working through our grief on the sunday afternoon he and i were sitting at a table in our yard in sacramento california i was comforted to have him there and i smiled as i noted his habit of moving his lips while he read I was catching up on reading from work. After a while, I got up to go inside and bring us a snack. Our home was U-shaped, and on the right side of the U were our kitchen, a guest, a bedroom suite, laundry room, and the exit to the garage. Max had spent the last month of his life in the guest room because he was more comfortable in a bed by himself if he was in grave pain. Before entering the kitchen, I stopped in the bathroom in the guest suite. That was when I saw the handprint. It hadn't been there When I'd gone in an hour earlier, I froze. Had someone played a trick, that was doubtful. Tanner and I would have seen or heard anyone. I shouted, Tanner, come here, hurry. Mom, what's wrong? Are you okay? He asked, running over. Look, I cried. You didn't do this, did you? As I spoke, I knew that Tanner couldn't have made it because he'd been next to me the entire time. Still, I asked him to hold his hand up next to it. It was much larger than his and shaped differently. It was no ordinary handprint, seemingly made of soft, white, powdery substance. It showed the entire bone structure as if it were an x-ray. Like most wives, I would recall precisely what my husband's hand looked like. The wide palm with the long, narrow fingers was reminiscent of the shape of Max's hand. The clock had stopped at 1244, the exact time of Max's death." We stared at the print, speechless and awestruck. We knew we were witnessing something astounding. Mom, I don't get it. What is that? Tanner asked. I'm not sure what it is, Tanner. Then I asked him, do you think there's any relationship to Max since it's the first anniversary of his death? Maybe, but how weird is that? And how could he make it happen if he's gone, mom? I had no answer, only a sense that I needed to remain calm and inquisitive. I guess for now, we don't know. Why don't you go out of the driveway and shoot some baskets? I hugged him, said I'd join him in a few minutes. I grabbed my camera, took several photographs. I should have done more. Mm. Like taking a sample of powdery substance for analysis or asked a forensic specialist to examine <laughs> the fingerprints. But I was so stunned that it didn't occur to me. When Was, mask, was Max visiting to let me know there was more? I've always been open in life and I wanted to be open now, but I was scared to entering the unknown was intimidating. Mm-hmm. This wasn't the first unusual occurrence. Max died in our living room at 1244 PM on Saturday in May, 2004 surrounded by family and friends in the backyard beneath the overhang of the roof. Just outside the door were two heavy wind chimes that he and I had hung. Both were sizable. One produced a deep musical sound while the other one reminded me of the gong of a buoy at sea. I thought it was fitting that they both rang, uh, The instant Max died, filling the house with rich, melodious tones, as a group we stopped to listen, as we turned our heads to watch the chimes, we noticed something peculiar, there was no wind. Then one week later I took Casey our yellow lab for a walk, it was Saturday around 7am and Tanner was asleep, I returned an hour later and as I was unhooking Casey's leash, I glanced up at the large round clock over the fireplace in the living room, the clock had stopped at 1244 the exact time of Max's death. At first I didn't process it. I thought time to get Tanner up for breakfast. Then it sank in. How could the clock show the time of Max's death instead of eight o'clock the proper time? Eh. I walked to Tanner's room, wake up. Look, Tanner, I said, pointing at the clock. His eyes became big and he muttered two words, no way. (laughs) The night before the clock had been normal and no one had been in the house. Mom, maybe it needs a new battery. We can't change it, but we uh, we can get some help to pull it down. The clock stayed at 1244 until Wednesday when Helen, our housekeeper, arrived. After I came home that evening, I found a note. She said that she was there. The lights had flickered and the clock had restarted. I think Max may have paid us a visit, Helen wrote. The handprint unmourned me in the ways that the clock hadn't. Not only was I sure I had imagined it, Tanner had also seen it, but was too shocking to ignore. She goes on to talk about how she sees the prints, um, And that they'd seen a lot of stuff. Um, They'd been planning a trip before Max's diagnosis. They toured Rome. They go into all this. But um, the very end of this is, from that point on, I decided to learn as much as I could about these incidents by talking with experts and reading. My journey would span eight years and take me across the United States to speak to different scientists, professors, and spiritual practitioners. So. She would, she'd like
0: told that story all over the place.
1: I guess so. And maybe yeah. just trying, I think uh, what I get from it is as much as she wanted to believe it, there was her mind going, was there a scientific explanation because it's, it's almost too good to be true.
0: Yeah. She wanted it to yeah. be real.
1: Right. I feel, true. I, and all of that. I feel my brother a lot. I've, I've, he's come to me through music, certain songs that come on that the lyrics are just like, I already feel him. And then a song comes on. And um, so I don't, it's inexplicable, but um, I, I don't, I don't deny it.
0: Well, it, I mean, it, there isn't any reason to deny it.
1: Really. Yeah. So That's I thought it was a sweet story. Very ghost much Ghost story. So. Mm-hmm. Little ghost story. Our loved ones visit us. Absolutely.
0: So French writer Colette was essentially a turn-of-the-century Madonna. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, she shocked the usually unshockable Parisian literary world with both her work Did you ever and see her, the movie? What, Colette?
1: Yeah, with uh, Keira Knightley plays Colette. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's an Did interesting like movie. It? Um, I love anything Kira Knightley does, yeah, okay. and she so she played not, the you're role. You're a little biased. Well, <laughs> I'm a little biased. The movie was okay, but it it's a, a really interesting story. Cool. Yeah.
0: Well, in this particular story, uh, she was. <laughs> so this is what this says. It says she wasn't immune to the social pressures of the time. However, so however, so when she became pregnant of by editor. Henry de Juvenel in 1912, she admitted defeat and married him. So that shows you how thrilled she was. Henry had a a son from a previous marriage, but he wasn't permitted to meet Colette until eight years after she became his stepmother. So when Henry's ex-wife needed a favor from Colette, she sent her then 16-year-old son to butter her up, though she probably didn't intend it that way. So the ex-wife... To be clear, the ex-wife is sending um, her 16-year-old son to the stepmom. Sure enough, exactly what what the mom feared would happen, though Colette had let herself go over the years, she was still smoking hot. (laughs) And the boy, (laughs) Bertrand, was hypnotized. We can only imagine. She wasted no time ensnaring him, taking him on a luxury vacation and gifting him with a copy of her novel, O.H. Oh, the seduction. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. I added that in. Oh, the seduction, which happens to be about a relationship. This book, Sherry, happens to be about a relationship between a 49-year-old woman and a 25-year-old man. Wow. And inscribed the words, my cherished son, Bertrand. Nice. So in no time, they were having sex. And they did so off and on for the next five years. And when Bertrand turned 20... Colette spitefully confessed the affair to her husband and ended their marriage. Huh. Yeah. It sounds like impulsive I, might have been part of her personality. That's is, that is not
1: the movie I saw. <laughs> yeah, not the movie Because Colette ends up with uh, in, in love with a woman in the movie that I saw. Cool. But, yeah. Uh, uh,
0: she and Bertrand began openly dating after the marriage, apparently, and Colette was back in the night uh, let's see, Colette was back in the nineteen twenties French version of Gawker. <laughs> The, the articles maze? it's very salacious um i guess you know people were trying to get her to not do it and i guess they got engaged uh or didn't get engaged something like that i i can't imagine it went anywhere um they were engaged and then called it off because for societal pressures you know see if this is the she same. was quite a bit older uh their relationship ended for good um you know, they were very fond of each other though. I think that's a uh, well, it's certainly a trope in the movies, right? The older woman ensnares the young boy. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And they this particular person is accusing Colette of that. Apparently seducing her stepson, so happy Valentine's Day.
1: Yeah, that I mean that's the movie, Colette, but that I don't even know that side of the story
0: (laughs) well and neither do we but i thought it was an interesting fun i don't know little story so we're going to take a little break from the stories and we'll be right back we're going to get into more of the psych aspects sort of the dark side of romance and maybe there'll be some some stories we can correlate to that but that's after the break thanks guys we'll be right back While we take a break, go follow us on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page. We upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. Hi there. We're back from the break. Today we are discussing on the show creepy love stories is what we were doing. And now we're going to get into the dark side of romance, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, I I was looking up some stuff about um, clearly, you know, we're doing this episode for Valentine's Day. Yes, But also how um, in a lot of horror movies, things are mixed with, um, I don't know, evil or carnal kind of primal instincts and so we oftentimes connect um romance with more ominous things sure and wanted to talk a little bit about a website Uh, i was looking at something called old i believe this one was on oldstyletales.com i looked at a couple different websites okay but they talk about how um the reason why romance is used a lot in horror is because whether you're looking at it from a psychoanalytic perspective or just uh, the romantic period, there's always been this dark side. So something sinister, uh, possessive, even fatal, lurks behind the desire to attract and be attracted. So the shadow. Yeah. So part of it's shadow, and 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 just yeah, the sort of car. Yeah, I guess the it flip would be- side
0: to romance, right? Like if 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 American society gives us the the soulmate. You know, myth and the romance, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's got to be the dark side of it. And for me, I think of something like that vampiric type love. Yeah, you know that sort of which is why we see
1: it in things like Dracula, Phantom of the Opera, The Raven. So there's this bridge between physical and spiritual, and it's made by a, a carnal attraction, is what they talk about, and um. And to speaking to the shadow is is this dark animalistic release that takes place. And the French, um, in in English, it translates to the little death, but the French would refer to the sleep that follows sex as as uh, the little death. So, yeah, um, and I guess it even speaks to like Freud's drive theory too, a little bit, I guess, right? Just sex and death. Absolutely. Um, the primal. The primal of to either be part of something bigger or to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I really just wanted to have a conversation about it, but I think that the the biggest piece here is that we see this a lot in horror. Yes, um, absolutely. We see things like deceased lovers coming back from the grave, abduction by demon lovers, um the genre's certainly evolved in a Hollywood's evaluating the way that, um, ooh, sorry, I talk with my hands a lot, guys. Sorry. I'm just hitting <laughs> shit. Uh, the way that at least opposite sex couples, I would say it, it, goes the same with same sex couples. There's not although there's not a lot of gay horror, not um, a ton,
0: but I don't know. At least,
1: well, at least not explicitly there might be, I mean, vampires tend to be incredibly bisexual, but, that's They're, the narcissism. They have a flow. They <laughs> have the- a flow to their sexuality. <laughs> a lot of narcissists and sociopaths are too. So I guess that there you would go. Be. There it is. Uh, but the 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 bridge between you know, I don't know. I uh, sorry. So the the genres evolved. I guess is what I'm saying. But there used to be much more of this he would chase her and, and the jealousy was something that we looked at as being passionate and hot, but now we're starting to see as a little bit more abusive and yeah, I think one of the, yeah, exactly. I think one of the things
0: sort of the dark side of the romance genre, which is still, I think alive and well is a uh, popular popularizing abuse. And so yep. <clears throat> some people might look at something like a 50 shades of gray. This isn't a horror movie, although maybe to some, <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey, something like that, where there's a popular romantic trope. If you read a lot of romance novels or watch a lot of romance movies, or there's a popular trope around around the controlling, very successful, domineering, dominant male and the young, naive, uh, submissive woman who... Wants to be swept up and and supported and submit to his power. Now, there is nothing inherently wrong with that fantasy. There's also nothing inherently wrong with being in a mutual relationship where that is agreed upon. Mm-hmm. No matter what sex you are, could be women, women, men, men, whatever. There's no inherent. There's nothing inherently wrong about having a dominant person and no. a submissive person. However. In the movies, some would say in something like Fifty Shades of Grey, although I, I would argue that it was consensual on her part, um, you get into situations where it could lead to glorifying, tolerating, excusing men's violence against women. And so.
1: Well, and I think underlying that is the belief that jealousy is good, mm-hmm. too. There's a lot of that. of oh, I sure. I own you. And oh, he must really love me. Yeah, if that's I how think he feels. a lot
0: of, uh, in particular, women and and I'm, maybe men do it too. But I think in particular, women, especially young women, unfortunately, because when I was a young woman, I did believe this, that jealousy meant they love you. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's not that. <laughs> it's just not that. I mean, I, I'm not sure I have ever been in a relationship with someone who didn't have a jealous streak, but I always associate that jealous streak with the, the insecurities mm-hmm. that are there. And then sometimes I've associated with those insecurities with the narcissism or the fears that are underlie the narcissism and the low self-esteem there that, that feels like there has to be a controlling element in order to keep you. -hmm. And so, it has to be only me, and you Mm -hmm. know that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that would, of course, skew us into a whole like open relationship type of conversation. But Mm -hmm. I think jealousy, although I cannot even imagine like a healthy person not being a little bit jealous of certain things. Well, I think there's a there's a level of what we're talking about. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, I think there's a. I don't know if jealousy's maybe not the best word to use but I do think that there's a healthy level of um you know feeling at times like you're not getting everything from that person or you feel like maybe their attention's going Mm -hmm. outside of you I think to a certain extent like with anything that can be that can just mean that you're invested and you don't want that person to leave but the second it transitions into possession and power and control is where it becomes pathological. So you can, you can, you know, hear somebody say, yeah, I'm a little jealous. You've been hanging out with your friends a lot lately and you can have a conversation about that and it be just that versus I don't want you seeing that person anymore. Yeah. It's a very different, I can tell you from being
0: on like the side of being with someone like that, that it's a very, it's got a very different feel than, yeah. than someone just loving you
1: and missing you and or, missing you mm-hmm. and
0: sort of noticing that maybe there's something in your relationship that needs attention because yes. it sounds like you're best friends with this person that's really attractive at
1: work or whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so
0: loving that person and then sort of saying like, Hey, I noticed that.
1: And there may be truth to, oh, sure. uh, that, you know, when you start to have those gut feelings, I know for me, I've, I've had experiences where I'm like, and that person's gaslighting me and I'm like, Oh, and then, you know, you figure out at the end that that was really your gut telling you something is wrong. Mm-hmm. But if you're in an abusive relationship, um, they tell you that you're you're too sensitive and too jealous. And so it can, that, that word can also be used against someone who really just is going, I'm feeling something off.
0: Yeah. You could just be innocently saying or, or with an agenda, not so innocent. I mean, just sort of saying like, Hey, which is a good, I think, relational moment Mm -hmm. where you say, Hey, we're not connecting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe we should reconnect and let's have an honest conversation about what you might be feeling rather than you can't work there anymore because I noticed that you're crushing on so-and-so and so you need to quit your job. Right. That's the difference. Yep. I mean, the power, power and control. You can't be friends with, I need to meet every one of your friends and I will decide whether or not they can you be can around. be friends yeah. with those people. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge difference there, right? Mm. <laughs> That's a pretty... I think the, you know, physical aggression obviously is a very dark side. Yeah. Physical aggression, jealousy, a lot of times those two things go together. I know the Pirates of the Caribbean ride
1: removed a, <laughs> a bunch of stuff. I'm sorry. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, if those of you who either live near Florida or been to Disney World or live out here and go to Disneyland, there was a large part of that ride that was removed because there was a, um, a it, when, if you've never been on it, you kind of go through this little I don't know what you call like a c- town, little city. What was yeah, that? Yeah, it's like, like a, a town? little city, little mm-hmm. town. And um, you know, they're they're animatronics, basically. And the there was one where he was chasing her in this circle, mm-hmm. and they removed it because it it after you know clearly that ride opened so long ago. It was one of the original rides there people started to go yeah i don't know if that's healthy to keep that up because that's actually kids a, quite abusive watching that yeah, yeah yeah we have a different
0: and even though those scenes in that city are supposedly set a couple hundred, you know 100 years ago you can tell by the dress and everything mm-hmm. um, they just don't i guess there's a point of, you know, we don't want little kids seeing that and thinking it's okay. It's normal, and then like extrapolating to that being okay, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm, I don't know. Do you remember
1: the old uh, Pepe Le Pew? <laughs> how he I do. would he would just like it's an old cartoon. People would, I mean, when you watch that now, he was assaulting her every day. Yeah. But it was supposed to be cute and he was this French lover and he was, you know, and now you watch it and you're like, wow, he's a predator. (laughs) Well, and it was funny. That's right. That was funny. It was light. Yeah. It was
0: funny that those smacking around or whatever was happening. And now we're just in a culture now where we take those things more seriously and we don't want to inc- we we have a sensitivity to not want to
1: encourage those
0: kinds of things. And yeah, we can watch these horror movies which
1: well, I think the part of it that I still enjoy is the the carnal or primal urge like wanting sex isn't bad. <laughs> you no, know, and, and right. so there's I think the the part of it that's healthy is horror sort of allows people to whether it's explore visually through watching it or just sort of normalizing the fact that we all have primal urges. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just make it more of a, they demonize it. <laughs> well, right, and I mean,
0: as far as movies are concerned, there's it's more interesting dramatically yeah. right, to watch something that's extreme, whether that's sex, like Fifty Shades of Grey, something that's an extreme thing that we're not living currently ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because people who are living those lives actually currently themselves aren't watching Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> no, that's put it that way. You know, it's yeah. like if you're living that kind of relationship, you're not watching that because if you're watching that,
1: you're going, oh, that's lame. That was that's was how it's like at all. That was <laughs> sort of the joke when the books came out that people were yeah. like, well, these are, these are clearly wives who have not having a great sex life with their spouse
0: right, and, or have a really yeah. basically
1: it's, I mean, all
0: romance novels are like this. There's a certain fantasy they're tapping into, mm-hmm. whether it's the cowboy or mm-hmm. the domineering male, the rich, you know, domineering yeah. male. And you get to, you get to live in that. Yeah. While you're, yeah. And it's fantasy. Nothing inherently wrong with that. Mm-mm. Obviously romance novels are making a, Living off, of, I mean, yeah. novelists are making a living off of our fantasies, no matter what they are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's the physical aggression, it's the jealousy. I think those are the dark sides: possessiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I alluded to like a vampiric shadow, mm-hmm. and I would I would add that in there as a as a dark side to love because I think sometimes love can, even though it love you know romantic love it's 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 we're primed for it um but i also think we can be we can err on the side of wanting to be one you know that's a that's a that's soulmate we are one that kind of thing is really propagated in our romance culture of Mm -hmm. that you know a lot of the wedding materials that you get you know or read about or romance articles and things it talks about like oh you know that language of soulmates and he completes me that kind Mm. of shenanigans Mm -hmm. um not so healthy yeah i i think it's not my understanding or what i'd like to believe is that the people saying things like that are not inherently trying to be you know deluded or ridiculous it's mm-hmm. just those are the words in our culture that are sure. that are used to express this person means a lot to me <laughs> but I take issue with those kinds of words for sure because if there's a vampiric love going on that person does really want to consume you in fact the narcissist really does want you to disappear yep. and them to exist and to use you as a mirror right so that you don't exist you're a mirror right and and that is a it's a very dangerous
1: it's situation it's incredibly sick and yeah. and um we've normalized that language but like you said if you're in a healthy relationship then there's a level of healthy independence and autonomy and when you see what always worries me when i hear people talk even friends of mine in the past who have had relationships and they say, we do this and we do that. And it drives me crazy. It's like, clearly that's naturally if if we are going on a trip, that would make sense. But we like this, we watch this, we do that. We feel this way about that. It's incredibly symbiotic. And one person in that dynamic, if not both, but it's usually one person loses their identity and becomes the other person.
0: Yeah. And yes, yeah, so and I think you're, what you're describing is something that can happen in a relatively average way. Yep. Right. Like it, it, you can find that in yeah. one out of five relationships, maybe more, three out of five, perhaps, mm-hmm. <laughs> in our culture that will that will have that kind of language around things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there might be you know one out of fifty that are super controlling and narcissistic, like what I'm what I'm describing, but and dangerous also, and very dangerous to to the person who's being consumed, I think, uh, psychically and and often physically just sort of depends the nature of the things in that relationship. But I totally agree with you. You know, the thing when I was hearing you say the, we, this, we, that the thing I thought of was I had to get to a certain age to want my partner or to be able to tolerate my partner not liking much of anything that I like.
1: <laughs> yes, you don't have to have everything in I mean, it's nice to have things in
0: Well, common. and when I was younger, I wanted my partner to be my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I and that's another thing that we have in our society where, you know, marry your best friend type of thing. Yeah. And that can be quite satisfying for a lot of people. I'm not saying it's not. It's just that what I, for me, I think I had to mature to a situation where I felt like we could be very different, we could, but we could have some common, um, some common needs and some common goals in life. Let's say, yep. So there was a, there was a, there's a bottom to that that felt congruent. But as far as like wanting to do things, yes, would I like, <laughs> would I like to be able to do certain fun things together? Absolutely. Do I get to? No. <laughs> and can I tolerate that? Absolutely. But but then when I sit down in my mature head and think, I am really attracted to someone with their own opinions, their own lives, their own interests, yeah. so that I can be stimulated by something different than myself. But I didn't want that at 22.
1: I guess the way – no, I totally get I that. Personally, and I personally – I'm not I, saying
0: all 22-year-olds are like that.
1: I just – Yeah, I, I think that um, – The way that I see it when I, cause I I have said before, I, I want my partner to be my best friend, but let me clarify to me what that means. One, I don't think that your partner should be the person you go to for every need. And I think that that's where, in a lot of relationships that become incredibly symbiotic, um, that the reason why they don't work is you're holding that person accountable for all of your needs, which means you no longer have friends, you're no longer going to family, or if you are, the relationships are more surface because you rely on that one person for everything, which is completely unrealistic for that partner and unfair. Right. When I say I want a best friend and a partner, it's not necessarily because I want them to have everything in common with me. For me, what that means is I may wake up on days that I just don't fucking like you. Oh, I'm for sure. upset. you definitely I'm, will. You know? <laughs> yeah. And and I've been there. I've been there in relationships where when the friendship isn't there, and that's what I mean by that, then there's nothing left. It's so easy to give up on that feeling. So to me, I don't want my partner to just be my lover, but my friend means she's going to root for me. She's going to want me to do what... That person's going to help me grow, Mm -hmm. right? So that's what I mean by that. But I challenge you, too. And and challenge me and have, at times, different opinions and different thoughts because, like you, I don't want a mirror. No. There are certain things that it's nice to have in common, but I want somebody sometimes to put me in check and go, ah, no. (laughs) No. And I need that. Yeah, no. I mean, I think the point...
0: Is also that you know our needs are different when we're younger. You know, I totally i i needed, and I see this a lot in the young people that I treat or work with or talk to. They i And I had this desire too, and that I wanted my partner to mirror back to me and validate who I was by being similar and liking the same things and all that and and trust me, it's easier that way because you can plan vacations and <laughs> mm-hmm. you know Saturday nights pretty easily when you like the same stuff, so there's definite i get it you fall in love with that, and that's mm-hmm. amazing and it's and i I clued into something you said, which was about um intimacy. And one of the things I learned along the way is that there are intimacy needs that we all have. Mm-hmm. So, so we have, uh, aesthetic intimacy needs like, and so there might be eight or 10 different kinds of intimacy needs, physical affection, mm-hmm. uh, uh, words of affirmation, words of affirmation, all that kind of stuff. And you, you figure out the three or four intimacy needs that you are getting from mm-hmm. the person you're with. And are those three or four qualities the most important? So if aesthetics, like what my house looks like, what my, what my, what things look like around me, my aesthetics, if that's really important to me, and like that's my number one intimacy need, like that's how I feel safe in the world, then if my partner doesn't value that either, then we have a big problem. But if, but if the aesthetics, which in my case is a lower intimacy need, and we don't have the same and we fight about what kind of couch or whatever the hell, then it's fine.
1: Right. It's not the end of the it's world. It's not the you. end of the
0: world because it's not my top intimacy. That's right. And if I have a thing around physical affection or how often we have sex or whatever, any of that stuff, it's just figuring out what your intimacy needs are. And I couldn't do that till I was a little bit older, personally. Mm-hmm. Like I was a late bloomer in that way. So it's like figuring out what your top intimacy needs are, which ones you value the most, which are i guess people would say, you know, bottom lines, and then vetting that person enough to know that you have the same mm-hmm. intimacy needs like priority level. Mm-hmm. And that has worked. <laughs>
1: Otherwise, it's like, you know, yeah.
0: square peg, round hole. Yeah, it's like if I value aesthetics and I need my home to look a particular way, and that's very, very important to me. It's like a, a breaking point, a cam, what is
1: that saying? <laughs> Straw that broke the camel's <laughs> thank back. Thank you, thank you. You were
0: like putting like five of those Could together. Could not figure it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, uh, if my partner didn't give a shit about that, and I valued it above all else and I still decided to be with that person long-term, that would be me giving up me. Yeah. Right. So.
1: Or just really resenting that person when they couldn't meet you where you were.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, and I think if you don't know that about yourself, which I think is what happens sometimes when we're younger and we make decisions about who to marry and stuff when we're a little bit younger, We cannot have that kind of frontal lobe system in place. We're just falling in love, and um. I wouldn't even. I mean, part of it's younger, but
1: part of it is that awareness maturity. Sure, I I know older people who still wouldn't go to that place of maturity, and understood. And that's a lot of times why the the early uh, people get married in early stages of marriage. The the rate of divorce is so high because. Um, They go, whoops. Love is volitional. It's not, you know, once the feeling goes away or the excitement or things are now not working because we're under one roof trying to make a life together, things that they didn't think about Mm -hmm. um, before talking about having a life together. It's very different having a passionate relationship with someone that's very exciting versus planning a life.
0: Yeah, and I think something you said earlier was really important about – uh, your best friend and, and having that person be a friend. And I, I think, I mean, that person ends up being the closest person to you. Yeah. S- certainly physically. Yeah. But also in many ways, because you're making a lot of like business decisions together, you know, about houses and places to live and mm-hmm. places to things to do and how to do this, that or the other. And so you're making a lot of decisions together and it's truly a partnership. Mm-hmm. And so, there is that feeling of needing that person to be like-minded, like I'm saying with intimacy needs, you know, to be like-minded to make those kinds of decisions. And they're the closest person to you. But what I would say is that for, let's say you have your partner and, and, your stuff is jiving really well. And then there's these aesthetic needs or, you know, you really like Disneyland and that person doesn't or something. And so you just get those filled by other friends, you know, other people. Yeah. And, but I think the, the thing that I at least thought when I was younger was that I needed to get everything met by yeah, my no. partner.
1: Yeah. They, they, and the, and I also want to say too, is you don't have to choose one over the other. Meaning you can have a really emotionally, mature and a healthy relationship and there be a lot of passion and great sex and all of that, sometimes it's even better. Um, but if you're stuck in that space of everything has to be chaotic and constantly fighting and that's what you find to be passionate and romantic, I mean, that's just, it has an expiration date. Absolutely. And I,
0: I mean, you know, it's a whole separate issue for, Being at a time in your life when, you know, you're attracted to personalities that might be narcissistic or borderline or whatever the traits are that are controlling or even just fun,
1: but not with any real like, yeah, drive and and that comes sometimes with maturity and sometimes it's character. Right. They might not be a bad person, but they you might have a drive and they don't. And when it gets to a point in life where big decisions need to be made and you're like, fuck, grow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's not even about someone being, I mean, although it's much worse when there's narcissism and all that, it doesn't even need to go that far. It can just be someone who doesn't have the same drive. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, I think we can all agree that there's a few life decisions that you need to be on the same page for. Yep. <laughs> That are pretty big. And, yep. and if one person just acquiesces and doesn't really come to um, a decision within themselves to be okay with that and sort of shift their perspective, can then, get bad fast. then that person is ultimately long-term not going to be supportive of nope. that gigantic life decision. So, And I think we started off talking about this in the context of light and dark, uh, and I think that's why we got into uh sort of a a deeper, you know, not a not a a surface kind of love. I I'm all for empty sex and yeah. go, go do your thing. Go have
1: fun. Yeah.
0: Just know what it is. But we, we we we're more talking about when you when there's a partnership or a serious relationship and you know, there are dark sides to things. But also you can be in a healthy relationship and have a dark side to that relationship anyway mm-hmm. but the dark side doesn't need to be all of these extreme things we're talking about but there's a dark side to every relationship you have there's mm-hmm. a there's a way to go off the rails in a dark way and and everybody in relationships have moments like that and yeah. if you're in a relationship over the long term you have to have enough of a base that you like that person enough to talk it out. And I think that's what you're talking about friendship because Mm -hmm. good friends will do that too, is you'll Mm -hmm. have a blip and whatever happens. And then if you care enough about it, then you, then you have more conversations or you take breaks and you go in and out. And I think that's the exact same in a, in a romantic relationship. Yeah. What
1: I, what I found not to continue on this too much, but what I have found, um, in relationships with, um, Women, like two women mm-hmm. is it can get really complicated when women have their entire group of friends are the same. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And so, which is very common because a lot of times you meet in those circles or whatever, that it's, it's really important for two women or two men. If you're in a relationship to have friendships, um, sure. Have, have mutual friends. I mean, that's healthy too. I mean, h- heterosexual couples do the same thing, but having, um, relationships that are your own that you can go to where the person doesn't feel like they have to choose a side that they can actually just be your friend in that moment yeah. or, or just a part of you that is independent from the relationship i have found is incredibly important
0: yeah it can happen in heterosexual relationships it can, too I, yeah. I feel like if you meet young enough and then all of your friends become mutual friends because you're just so young that everybody becomes everybody's friend. And then there's a breakup of some kind. Or people have dated within the circle. Right. And right? then, and then they, the friends have to make a choice mm-hmm. and that's yeah. tough. Yep. That is really, really tough. But I totally agree with you that if at all possible, have your own life. Is yep. basically the message there. Mm-hmm. Have your own life and come together as equals and you'll avoid some of the pitfalls I think we talked about. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, happy Valentine's Day. Woo-hoo. Woohoo yeah it's not actually Valentine's Day, but it will be soon this this episode. Is I think Mr. Just Ra- before. I think Mr.
1: Ramirez falls during Valentine's Day isn't that special? Oh Lord
0: <laughs> That was really interestingly planned. I love that yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and come back to our what the hell segment. We will obviously have a shrink chat episode on Friday, just about when this episode airs. I am right back from Sundance. So that's cool. Maybe I'll have stuff to say. And next week we will start with a four part series that Kathy is spearheading on Richard Ramirez.
1: Mm, Get ready for it. He's a sick and twisted man or was, I should say.
0: Yeah. So that's where we're at. We'll be right back with What the Hell.
1: Hear the name of this
0: Hi there, we're back with our What the Hell segment. What What's that?
1: <laughs> I said, wait till you hear the name of this one. Okay, well, you go first. It's called the Fake Dick Disaster. Oh, <laughs> okay. Last week it was... okay you go in this in this day and age everyone is always just trying to show off their best assets Uh whether you post an instagram picture of your new manicure or send a sexy selfie to a bay we live in a society that promotes showing off what you've got and that's what makes this crime truly strange well it seems this criminal was trying to show off his crown jewels the weird part is that they actually weren't his oh in 20 2012, 28-year-old Jacob Lee Bovia was arrested for exposing himself to several women at a community college in Annapolis, Maryland. However, what he was flashing was not his actual genitalia, but turned out to be fake genitalia. Okay. So it's already, it's already just, it's already traumatizing enough for a woman to have someone expose themselves to her. (laughs) And then to realize that it's it's uh, like a, a catfish penis. A
0: catfishing yeah, yeah. Cat penis.
1: So he had allegedly been driving around campus in his Honda Accord in an effort to expose himself. <laughs> I, I know. I love how they put his I car in how there. I love they throw the Honda Well, cord in there. you know, Honda drivers. Basic. <laughs> Have a lot of dildos in the back of the car (laughs) in an effort to expose himself to innocent female onlookers. I love that they put innocent also, too, as opposed to women who were looking for it. Yeah, they're amping amping it up there. After multiple women complained about his antics and provided a description of his car, uh, hence the Honda Accord, he was eventually arrested and charged with two counts of disorderly conduct and another three counts of indecent exposure. We don't really understand why anyone would want to expose themselves to others, but we're really baffled why you'd want to flash fake genitalia. <laughs> Whatever the reason, this is I mean, I clearly I mean, most most people exhibitionists um already have incredible um significant amounts of body dysmorphia around their genitalia. Okay. So that makes sense to me, but they usually the whole point in, in <laughs> displaying it is to expose and get a reaction from their <laughs> genitalia. Due to that, whether it's the re- reaffirmation that it really isn't adequate, or so this is just really interesting from a the perspective of someone who's worked with offenders who have been exhibitionists. So this whole thing is just so it doesn't make sense. It, to you. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me, but it's doesn't mean incredibly weird. Yeah,
0: there's always anomalies, right? <laughs> mm, yeah, well, well, if you and- see
1: his picture, he's clearly not mentally. I mean, he looks all wide-eyed and okay. Yeah, he's nutty. A
0: little drugs, maybe. Could be. I don't know. We can make some shit up. Maybe he thought it was funny. <laughs> I was gonna say maybe he he thought it was funny and he was just being a uh, he was just being a weirdo, and then and he had the wherewithal to say like I well I don't want my real penis picture out there. I just want to. Mess with people. Oh, he looks like he might have some drugs in his system. (laughs) Mental capacities, not entirely. Some sort of compromising situation going there. All right. So my story is this. And again, this is uh, a first-person account. I went to a domestic violence call. This is from a police officer, obviously, where the woman claimed her husband had hit her. Uh, I asked her how it happened. She told me she couldn't provide the kind of he couldn't provide the kind of life she wanted to give her. <laughs> she wanted him to give. This her. sounds like the conversation we <laughs> were just having. Good lord, <laughs> exactly. Uh, she stated that since he had had a heart attack and was diagnosed with lupus, that he wasn't uh, he wasn't working. So she decided that she would start inviting friends over to have sex with her for money. Oh. Mind you, she's telling me this, a fully uniformed officer. Oh, my God. (laughs) So it gets worse. She says he should act as the person who handles the money for her, i.e. her pimp. (laughs) She then calls someone to come over and tells her husband that after she gets paid for the sex, he should hold the guy at knife point and take the rest of his money. Oh, my God. She's telling this to a police officer (laughs) that she called to her house. She said he refused to help her. And so this is when they got into an argument. He pushed past her to get out of the apartment. And she claims that was when the assault, uh, that that was the assault she called me for, that he pushed past her. So <laughs> I just want to be really clear. Mm-hmm. She was mad at him and he pushed past her to get away from the crazy bitch. And she calls the cops to cry assault and then tells the police officer and admits to planning a felony. Oh my God. What a mess. So the officer says to her, Do you, So, ma'am, do you understand that you just admitted to planning a felony? Crime. <laughs> <laughs> and she he says she looked shocked. She thought that planning a prostitution and robbery was wasn't wrong at all. Oh my god. And did not get why I wasn't arresting her husband for trying to remove himself from her stupid plan. That would get them both arrested.
1: Wow. I love that. I love the shit that people tell cops.
0: Yeah, I I found a bunch of them, and so I'm going to be using some of them over the coming weeks because they're just amazing. I think cops tell the best stories about crazy town. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And it's coming up on Valentine's Day. So those of you who like to celebrate Valentine's Day or just like to have a good meal and some chocolate, please, please, please enjoy it. Uh, And we thank you so much for listening. This is Tara Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of terror talk if you enjoyed this show there are two things you could do for us subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media as well as writing a review on itunes plus you could check out our patreon page don't hesitate to contact us on twitter instagram or facebook we upload new episodes of terror talk every wednesday and of shrink chat every friday until then goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow